Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Welcome to Hacks for Life. I'm Galen Jones, and I'm here with Scott Rahi, and we're going to be having a, a, a conversation, multiple conversations, with the topic of why I'm persuaded. And today we're going to be talking about why I'm persuaded that there is evidence for God. So, Scott, uh, let's go. Thank you, Galen. Um, so the reason we're going to discuss this topic, initially it's going to sound like um, – well, aren't you just discussing this as part of the whole podcast series? That there's in the whole podcast series about there being evidence for God, and that's technically true. But we wanted to spend a few minutes on this specific subject because in the skeptical community, there's a big um, disagreement about what evidence means, and when Christians are encountering people from the secular community and they use the word evidence, and people that are not Christians use the word evidence, they very likely don't mean the same thing by it. Um, just to give you an example. So just real quick here, when yeah. you say the, the skeptical community, you're just basically talking about people that we would run into, co-workers, yeah. water cooler, grocery store, yep. yeah, just just as we just have relationships with, with people. That's correct. And, and whereas probably most people – don't really take a position on what this is. They do listen to the news. They do read newspaper articles. They read the internet. They hear other people talk. And just like anybody, you're going to pick up information. And if you think that person is credible, you're going to sort of adopt what they say. And there is a very vocal, um, small minority, but a vocal minority that are, you know, sharing their views about Christianity and why they don't believe it's true. They actually call themselves the new atheists. Um, and there are people like Richard Dawkins, who's got a you know million book selling book called uh, The God Delusion Bestseller. You got other skeptics like Bart Ehrman and Sam Harris and all these people that have come out and very vocally said this Christianity thing is false. And as part of that, they've come out and said, let me tell you what evidence uh, there is for God. There is no evidence for God. None. And when you and, and I've heard people say that to me multiple times. There is zero evidence, not a shred of evidence for God, and it's in their books. And so you you hear people that you talk to who have read these books, and they'll tell you the same thing. Yeah. They might even say something like, "You really believe that?" Sure, absolutely. Whatever the you know the, that is, as it's associated with a, a belief in God. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's probably podcasts that are that speak to. That there is no God. Of course, there are tons of them, tons of them. And um, so I thought it would be best to spend a little bit of time up front to talk about the word evidence and make sure that we're using the term consistently. Um, it's always best to define your terms when you're talking to somebody. And this is just an, ex an attempt to do that. There is a – let me give you a couple of quotes from the secular community. I mentioned Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. In that book, he gives a he gives a what to him is the definition of evidence and um, sorry not of evidence but of faith, and he says persistent false belief held in the face of strong contradictory evidence. That's what he calls that's what he calls faith. It's persistent 
false belief held in the face of contradictory evidence. So he's saying not only is there not evidence for God, but there's evidence against God. Contrary to that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Victor, Victor Stanger is another one, uh, wrote a book. Uh, well, he, he's written several books. One of his quotes says, faith is belief in the absence of supportive evidence. And you're going to see, if you look very long, you're going to see these skeptical um, sort of authorities, people that they, you know, that are in the media and on the bookshelf saying, if you hold a belief in God, you do it without any evidence whatsoever. There is no such thing as evidence for God. And initially when you hear that, you think, oh, wow, that's that's powerful. But then you start asking, well, what do they mean by evidence? And you learn that they don't define evidence the way that we do. Um, there is there is a viewpoint that they advocate, most of them advocate, that I have to use a little bit of a technical term here. It's called scientism. And scientism is the view that the only way to get at the truth of something is through scientific experiments. If I want to know whether something is true, I have to I have to run it. I have to be able to test it in a lab. So put it in a petri, petri yeah, pe- dish. Yeah, petri dish. Be able to repeat it. Be able to do you know run statistical analysis on it. All of these things. And if you can't do that with something, then it can't be counted as evidence. And so anything historical, it's not evidence because you can't run a scientific experiment to prove it. Um, anything that is outside of the scientific community, anything outside of the lab is really, uh, most of them will say it's not even knowledge. And so, you you know, you just basically trust science and anything outside of science is not something that you can even uh, add to the list. The pro- So there's a couple of problems with that. First of all, if you think about it, uh, when somebody says anything that you can't test in the scientific lab is not true or is not it's not necessarily not true, but you can't count it as knowledge. That statement can't be tested in the lab. And so I can't believe, if I can't believe anything unless I can test it in the lab, then I can't believe the statement that nothing can be believed in unless you can test it in the lab. I may, I may not be saying that as well as I need to, but if I take a statement, unless I can test it in the lab, I can't believe it. Okay, let's say I accept that. Then I can't believe the person who says, unless I test it in the lab, it can't be believed in. Because that statement can't be tested in the lab. Yeah, yeah. It's kind, kind of contradictory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a little bit of a yeah. hard concept, yeah. and it's <clears throat> difficult to articulate sometimes. But it's, it's, it's what's called a self-defeating statement. It defeats itself, because if you believe what it says, you have to reject what it says. And it's a little bit of a hard concept. But the point is, evidence does not exclusively come out of the lab evidence exists there is there is historical evidence we've got documents that show about things that happened in the past Uh, beyond that even people who accept things that happen in the lab as the only source of truth they don't test everything themselves they believe in the testimony of scientists who tell them that they did this so they're believing on the evidence of this testimony they you know that nobody tests everything Nobody does. So everything is, you know, everybody believes some things on the basis of testimony, on the basis of evidence that does not, uh, that can't be tested in the, in the scientific lab. And, and yet that's the, that's the position these people will take. So when you come to them and say, I have evidence for you, and they'll say, well, that's not evidence. What they mean is you can't test that in the lab. You can't reproduce an experiment and get the results and go and see if somebody else can get the same results and write a paper on it. 
If you can't do that, then it's not evidence. The problem is that is not the proper definition of evidence, and that's not what Christians think of whenever we say evidence. Let me. Yeah, because I would never be thinking about when you, if you use the word evidence to me, I would. My mind doesn't go to a petri dish or right. you know the, the the scientific process. I mean, it includes that. It certainly yeah. includes, it doesn't yeah. rule it out, but it's not exclusively that. Right. And if you if you understand or, or know anything about the history of philosophy, um, there was a in the early 1900s there was something called uh, logical positivism and verificationism, and there was this group called the Vienna Circle, and they held a view very much like this. That is logical positivism, and very quickly, all of the ones that propose it, the philosophers that proposed it, realized, yeah, this is not, you, you can't hold that view. And so they abandoned it. And philosophers walked away from this. And all of a sudden, here are these you know, modern skeptics coming up and saying, hey, look, we, we found this new thing. You didn't find anything new. It's over 100 years old, and it's been rejected by virtually every academic for a, dec- a century. And now they're bringing it back up. So I think that's important to point out. But you know, the, the skeptics will say, this is what faith means. It means belief without evidence, um, defined as, as they define evidence. Let me give you an alternate definition um, of evidence. And it comes from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. It's an online resource, really, really good resource for any kind of, any question that's related to philosophy or even theology, you can go there. And it, the definition that it gives of evidence is evidence is the kind of thing which can make a difference to what one is justified in believing. In other words, um, it's what makes it reasonable for one to believe. So if I can give you reasons that would stand up, you know, whenever I'm making my case in a courtroom, um, you know, Scott, stand up and explain to us why you believe, what evidence do you have that God exists? Do I have things to present? Yeah, I have things that I can present. Okay, that would be evidence. Now, is it good evidence? I guess people have to decide for themselves. I can tell you that it's persuasive to me. Maybe an atheist or a skeptic or somebody else might find it not persuasive to them. That's that's up to the individual to decide. But that doesn't mean that the evidence doesn't exist. It's there. The question is, what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why we're talking. The topic is why I'm persuaded. Yeah. And, and we're going to be talking about this evidence as we go along. Yeah. And so let me give you just a little bit more on that. Um, if you If you like watching... Like debates and you know videos and whatnot, you can go onto YouTube. Um, one of the most interesting—it's probably about a five-six minute clip. One of the most interesting discussions that I've ever seen um, is available on YouTube. It's when William Lane Craig, who's probably the leading uh, Christian apologist alive today, um, has been de- been debating skeptics for you know forever. Written and published and lectured, he's just everywhere. He's got a website uh, called ReasonableFaith.org. Um, but but I learned about him long time ago when he was debating a scientist named Peter Atkins. And Peter Atkins is one of these people that believes if you can't test it in the lab, um, it's not true. Or you can't count it as evidence or however, however he says it. And in that, and I've watched this clip so, so much, I'm going to sort of paraphrase it, but I think I'm actually pretty close. They're facing each other in these chairs, and William F. Buckley is off to the side, and... Um, Peter Atkins says, do you deny that science can account for everything? And William Lane Craig says, I, I do deny that science can account for everything. And he, Peter Atkins says, well, what do you think it can't account for? And so William Lane Craig says, well, I, I think it can't account for a lot of things. Let me give you five examples. I'm, I won't give all of them, but 
he says the first one he says i can't prove with science that there are other minds than myself it's possible that everybody around me is just a really complicated biological mechanism but they they don't have a mind they just appear to have a mind because they behave in certain ways but i can't prove that there's a mind that's at work that's directing them i can't prove that he said, I can't prove with science that the universe itself didn't come into existence five minutes ago with all of the appearance of age. Like you and I just now got here five minutes ago, and we think we've been a lot here for decades, and we think we had this conversation going for a while, and we think we had lunch. But no, the universe just came into existence five minutes ago. I can't prove with science that that didn't happen, but uh, I believe it. I'm kind of thinking of the Matrix when you... It's very similar to the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot... <laughs> that's just what that, popped into that's my an head. Exa- that's an yeah. example that people use. I think the Matrix is a really good example because we can't prove with science that the external world is even real we could genuinely be in a little cocoon in the matrix and you know we're just being fed these images and we believe the world around us is real but we, we can't prove with science that that's true or not um so i think if we try if we define evidence as you know whatever it is that makes it rational for us to believe something whatever builds helps us build a cumulative case and points to what we believe something that we would be able to go into a courtroom and say, Your Honor, here is my case. That's to me what evidence means. And a Christian, you know, Christians, I think, have been misled and maybe unintentionally, but, you know, I think you've heard this too, that, you know, you have to make this leap of faith. You can't really, you don't know that God exists. You don't know, so you just have to have this leap of faith. And that's really what these skeptics are doing. They're saying, oh, yeah, you just have a leap of faith. Um, I don't think that's what faith means to the Christian. I think what faith means to the Christian is um, that we trust that God's going to keep the promises that he's made to us. And there's all kind of evidence to show that. Um, I think, you know, I think that when we realize that, then it sets the, it sets a framework to sort of build on. Mm-hmm. Um let me give you a couple of just real quick examples from scripture because people, you know, don't trust me. <laughs> Please don't trust me, but trust scripture. I mean, we'll reach a point where we talk about this where we say, why should we trust the Bible? Okay. We haven't established that yet, but I'm still going to use scripture because I believe the Bible is God's word and I believe it's reliable. And so um, at the very least, I know that I can use scripture um, to explain what Christians believe as far as the use of evidence and as far as faith is concerned. And so let me let me read a section here. Yeah, oftentimes uh, and we I'm sure this will come up somewhere along the along the way, but a lot of times you know we allow those individuals that may be confused about their faith or struggling with the belief in God actually tell us what we believe. And we kind of fall into that and then we start trying to defend their assumptions about what I believe and really gets kind of crazy. So, yeah, the the, the Bib- that's what made me think about that's the biblical text. I think you're going to go to Hebrews. Uh, well, Hebrews Hebrews is the sort of the faith chapter. You know, Noah built Noah based on faith built the ark right. and and you know all of these things. And that's absolutely a really good place to go for that. It's you know people took God's command, took action, and saw that they their their actions were rewarded. And I think Hebrews 12 starts with, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us press forward. Um, And these clouds of witnesses with all these people in in Hebrews 11. Two two verses that I think are very helpful or have been helpful for me. Let me start with Luke 7, 
uh, verse 18. Um, this, this is after, you know, John the Baptist was um, put in prison after his ministry. Eventually he was beheaded. But this, is a, this occurs when John is in prison. Obviously he hasn't died yet. But he is, you know, he's wondering, is Jesus really the one that I was, is this person, this Jesus, is he the one that I was sent to sort of pave the way for? Or should I expect somebody else? And it's an interesting discussion. It starts in verse 18. It says, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So the disciples of John saw what Jesus was doing. They came back to John and they reported that to him. And John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now remember, John had already seen the heavens opened. He baptized Jesus, all these things. He saw all of this. He's in prison. He's about to die, and I think he's wanting to make sure. Um, starting and then going to verse 20, And when the men had come to him, when they had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. This is Jesus. And he answered them. This is Jesus answering them. Jesus said, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So here's Jesus he knows John. He's John's cousin. John has already proclaimed him. Jesus has revealed himself to John. John has seen the heavens opened up. He's heard the voice, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. All these things. John still had questions. Jesus could have very easily said, look, it's your job to just believe. But John, no, Jesus did not do that. Mm -hmm. Jesus gave John evidence. Let me show you. I'm healing people. I'm raising people from the dead. I'm curing the blind. Go and tell him the evidences that you see. That is, to me, faith is not blind, sheer belief in the absence of evidence. Even Jesus provided it to John. And there's another place where Jesus is saying, look, believe me, or at least believe on the the evidence of the miracles that I'm doing. I think that's John 10. Um, and you wouldn't find this in a Petri dish. No, you wouldn't find it in a Petri dish. Um and then again, the last one is in John 20. And, I, and, you know, let me just, I'll just summarize it. This is whenever, you know, Jesus appears to his disciples after he dies and has risen. And they all see him. And Thomas shows up after Jesus leaves. You, you kind of wonder, why did Jesus not hang around long enough for Thomas to get there? I think it's so this event could happen the way that it did. Um, Thomas comes in, hey, we saw the Lord. Well, I'm not going to believe that unless I see him, unless I put my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe it. So eight days go by. Jesus could have showed right back up and said, Thomas, don't do that. He waits eight days. And after the eight days, um, he shows up and he says, Thomas, come here. Put your finger into my hand. Put your hands into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So he gives him the evidence. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, you know, blessed are you, you know, because you've seen these things, more blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. So he, he, he doesn't correct him. He shows him the evidence. And I think that's what Christianity is about. We are an evidence-based faith. And for us, evidence means um, things that we can bring into, say, a courtroom, things that build a cumulative case and say, here's why I believe. Here's what makes it reasonable for me to believe. 
And our faith is not this sheer blind belief in absence of evidence. It is um, trusting that God's going to keep the promises that he's made to us. We have the evidence. We have good reasons to believe that God exists. We have very good reasons to believe that Jesus actually did and said the things that he said in Scripture and that he genuinely rose bodily from the dead. We, We have solid reasons to believe that. Now we go from there and we have faith and say, well, we know that these things are true. I'm going to have faith that God's going to keep the promises that he's made. So to me, I just wanted to go through that um, as just briefly because as we go forward and as we talk about these things, if somebody hears this and says, I'm going to go talk to, say, my, my skeptical brother-in-law, the one I, I'll probably reference him again, that response could be, well, that's not evidence. And I don't want anybody to go, oops, what do I do now? Yeah. So that's the reason I wanted to spend a few minutes kind of discussing that. I think next time what we'll do is we'll talk about um, the idea of truth, okay. um, relative truth, absolute truth, objective truth, just a little bit just so that – because that's another foundational piece that we need to go through. And then we'll start launching into areas of here's a, here's a, a bit of evidence, here's a line of evidence. Here, you know, We'll start kind of going through some of that stuff. But let's start by talking a little bit about truth and how we uh, – you know, what we do with that, and then you know, we'll go from there. Great. Hey, Scott, I, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks to our listeners for listening, and uh, I'm looking forward for the next conversation. Uh, can't wait to get there. I hope, uh, I hope our listeners are, too. Yeah, looking forward to it. You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit, Christ-centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled, caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972-243-4673. That's 972-243-4673. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.